1: Welcome in everybody to the CFB Nation All-America podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com alongside Bill Bender, our lead college football writer at SportingNews.com. And Bill, when they uh, created the college football playoff and they had the semifinal format figured out and they wanted to make New Year's Eve the, 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 the new college football tradition, I think Saturday is exactly what they had in mind.
2: Yeah, the games were great. I mean, we're going to get in both of them. I, I would say the way I've kind of created it, one of them was a great game. The other was a very entertaining game. I don't – and you may disagree. I thought Michigan-TCU was highly entertaining, but I would not call it a great football game. <laughs> there was so many mistakes <laughs> and coaching errors and bad officiating calls. They, uh, Yeah, but Georgia-Ohio State was. That was the the best semifinal I think we've had. It was a heavyweight fight. It was everything we could do. Um, you know, as you know, I live in Big Ten country. It's not the greatest place to be right now. I mean, it was uh, not great for either school, but, you know, that's part of the game. you got to go show up to these fights and and play well and play defense. I mean, what happened? That's my thing. Like, you and I talk about this all the time. What happened to defense? Is that just optional in college football now? <laughs> it looks like it.
1: I mean, if you look at the two semifinal games, I think uh, <clears throat> the each team averaged about 45 points a game. So I guess that's what it takes to win nowadays. But, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, for joining us again. This week we will have three podcasts this week. Today, uh, you know, normally we don't look back at this action on the, the previous week as much as we will with these two games where – we're legendary type games. We want to dive in a little bit. I was, of course, at the Peach Bowl and uh, had some up close uh, and personal look and through media days and coaches press conferences and things things like that. that I like to chat about a little bit, and then uh, we will have a, a more detailed championship breakdown Thursday, and then Bill will be coming to us live from Los Angeles uh, on Saturday. We will we will record a a podcast to see uh, from the uh, from Los Angeles again previewing the championship game and then of course next week we will wrap up uh, the season with a couple of podcasts as well so that's the schedule uh, for this week we will have three where they got this one that we've got a championship preview on Thursday and then we will have uh, a live report from LA on Saturday as we get ready for TCU and Georgia uh, and uh, by the way the only sporting newser to pick TCU and Georgia in the final was who? Bill, remind the folks. Remind yeah, the good folks. You,
2: you did, but you didn't. You didn't think it was going to be 51-45. forty-five. <laughs> Don't sit here and lie to the viewers. Um, you, yeah, you got Tulane right too. So I mean, but you didn't think they were going to come back from fifteen down either. So it is what it is. I mean, I, I, I got a. You didn't get Georgia on the spread though. I didn't get George yeah, on the that, spread. That's that that all bettors, That all the betters. We'll, we'll came get about.
1: back into our contest next next show and, and yeah. tally it all up and everything. But uh, yeah, that was fun. So let's start with George Ohio State, right? The heavyweight fight that you mentioned. Uh, you know, two most talented teams in the nation. You, you, you might say uh, they both played well at the same time, and the result was a classic. I, you know, I've seen a narrative out there that. Uh, Georgia played its B, B B-minus game and they were still able to win and and still able to win. And and Ohio State is... that They played almost as well as they could play and that's why Georgia is such a championship team. Things like that. I don't think Georgia played B-minus. Kirby Smart at the press conference after the game, he said, yeah, we got to clean a lot of stuff up. But I mean, he always says that or whatever. But he's like, Ohio State had a lot to do with it. He said the one regret he had was the drive before the halftime where Ohio State went bing, 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 bing right down the field right after Georgia took its first lead. And he said, basically, other than that, it was Ohio State making plays rather than Georgia playing bad. And I agree with that.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: I mean, I don't. I that devalues how Ohio State played. They they played like two best teams in the country, the two most talented teams, like you said. I mean, Ohio State went right at them, threw the ball. C.J. Stroud played a hell of a game. I mean, he was awesome, and uh, you know Marvin Harrison was great. So I, I think all of those things. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I when Jordan he said afterward, Kirby said something to the effect of it. We didn't play great tonight, and to some people that might seem condescending but at the same time I think he's right I mean their defense wasn't great and their offense was you know Stetson Bennett was rough a little bit early but in crunch time when it's championship time they they did their thing and you know I think living you know as you I don't know if all our listeners know I'm up here in central Ohio and Columbus and uh the mood here is like weird too it's like this isn't a to me it's not a moral victory you you're Ohio State you're not in the moral victory business it was a great game that you lost and you know yeah they played well and they showed up after the Michigan loss but at the same time you've got to win these games and and they had an opportunity to win this game so it's a missed opportunity for them
1: missed opportunity missed field goal I mean that, that came down to a kick right but it was an incredibly entertaining game back and forth I mean it was 7-7, then uh, it was just a game of runs after that. Ohio State scored 14 straight, then Georgia scored 17 straight, then Ohio State scored 17 straight, and then Georgia closed the fourth quarter 18-3. to And uh, that was the final answer. Uh, but when Stetson Bennett threw that touchdown pass to give Georgia the lead, the one-point lead, with I think it was 52 seconds left, you thought Stroud would
2: get them into field goal range, huh? didn't you? I said they left too much time and, and time management, something I, I it, maybe it's because I watch a lot of NFL. Like this happened at the end of the Alabama, Tennessee game. There was poor time management by Nick Saban. I think, well, you want to score, you can, but I get it. But I mean, run some time off the clock. I They gave Ohio state way too much time. And then Ryan day made up for it by not managing the clock at the end and not getting Noah Ruggles closer. This isn't, You know, a 50-yard field goal isn't a gimme. So it was very bad time management in the last two minutes. But it it was one of those things where it worked out for Georgia. And Stetson Bennett played really well in the fourth quarter. We've got a story coming on about him later in the week. We'll break down the quarterbacks for the title game. His fourth quarter rating is 185.6, which is phenomenal when you consider he hasn't played a lot in the fourth quarter. So when he does, and he gets in a game where he needs to make plays in the fourth quarter, he always does it. Yeah, that was incredible.
1: And so little uh, little <laughs> personal story from the last few minutes. As you know, the media is allowed on the field the last five minutes of the game, usually. And so I went down uh, the elevator, the press box, from the press box down to the field to catch these final five minutes. It was shaping up to be very exciting. And while I was on the elevator – Georgia had the huge sack of of CJ Stroud that it ended up limiting them to a field goal and keeping Georgia within six before Bennett came down and marched them down the field. We get down there. The security says, "No, you are not allowed to get on the field." Hmm. So the yeah. last four minutes of the game, they said, "Line up here," and you, we were in the tunnel and there was a television set right there, and so we had to. I watched the last four minutes of the game on a TV set. Uh, where people were walking by. And, <laughs> and so, right, the uh, the play where C.J. Stroud scrambled down to the 30-yard line or 32-yard line to get Ohio State in field goal range, right before that play, these two drunk Georgia fans stood right in front of the TV <laughs> and were like, oh, and they were like going wild, and all the writers were like yelling at the guy, get out of the way, get out of the way, or whatever. So I actually missed that play live. And then when it came down to the field goal, I w- did go into the tunnel and we were able to stand, and. but we were behind the kick so I could see the kick live from the tunnel. And then nice. it, it obviously, uh, you know,
2: sailed wide left. So. Oh, that's, I never go down, but I rarely ever go down unless it's a blowout. I always stay up top until the it's, if it's decided, I'll go down. But if really, I love the
1: intensity, the intensity of, of the moment and, and the celebration bowl, they let us down a a month ago or whatever. And it came down to it was very close and exciting. And the, 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 most right. decisive play was literally three yards
2: from me. See uh, that you can get the color off that, but like I, I always use the the Tua Georgia game as an example where I stay I made like the value decision. I was like, I can go down, I'm gonna stay up here. And then by stay it, it works both ways. Like Barrett Salia at CBS had the video of Tua's touchdown, and I'm like, that would have been been cool to have and see that close. But from my standpoint, it was just better to see that play develop from up top. So, you know, it is what it is. Um Though, no, I'm glad you got down there. It was it was a fun finish, and yeah. But again, I, I here in Columbus, it's a missed opportunity. There's no way around it. And, and I think the play of the game was Kirby calling the timeout on the fake punt because eleven, 11 they, point
1: lead for Ohio State at the time. Ball Ohio game. State was in control yeah. a little bit, uh, and if they kept that drive going, who knows what happens? Go but ahead. That
2: would have been ball game. The game's over. If Ohio State gets that first down, I don't think Ohio or Georgia has enough time to come back. So, for them, whoever saw that up in the box – Well, actually, so
1: the story was that, you know, the head coach has three channels on his headset, offense, defense, and special teams. Mm -hmm. Kirby says he had the defensive channel on. He didn't – the special teams guys were hollering down, fake, fake, fake. He didn't have the right channel on, but he recognized it from the field level he saw it himself from the field level and walked it and went over to the ref and called timeout. So they recognized it in the box, but Kirby didn't have the right channel on his, on his headphones, but he recognized it in, in real time from the sideline, and he called the timeout. And, yeah, that was absolutely vital for Georgia.
2: Well, and then every playoff game has controversy too. I mean, that was a targeting call that they I, – I don't understand targeting and it had it in both games, but the one in the Michigan game is a little bit less. Marvin Harrison got knocked out of the game. So how is that not targeting? Mm-hmm. And that's another game changer. Like, they didn't have... Ohio State didn't have Marvin Harrison. They didn't have Cade Stover. They didn't have... And, it's, I mean, injuries happen. That's football. But that's a... The NCAA, the the FBS, They they need to figure out targeting. It's like pass interference. They need to either I've always said they need to make it yellow card red card soccer type penalty or do away with it and do what the end of I just call it a personal foul because it it that was a game changer there's no way that wasn't targeting if a guy gets knocked out on the field I mean I, I don't know it that was a game changing play too losing it was Marvin a game Harrison.
1: changing play because they would have had first and goal uh they were up 11 at the time they would have had first and goal at like the 2 or 3 yard line if they called right uh targeting and then they would have been up presumably this quarter touchdown up 18. And that might've been the game as well. Um, you know, I thought, you know, Stroud hung him out to dry, obviously through the, the lollipop pass right. Harrison's just standing there waiting, waiting, waiting inside the, in just inside the, uh, end zone. Uh, and someone said that he actually stepped out and came back in. So it was technically illegal touching, but the, um, the DB came by, kind of turned his shoulder, but Harrison was a sitting duck. Um, so you could argue he was defenseless uh, because of the pass. He had to just stand right. there and wait for it. So it was a tough situation. Um, and that you're right, that was a game-changing situation too. Uh, some interesting stats I dug out of that game. I mean, the total yardage was very close, just like the game was. Um, You know, Georgia threw the last punch and then survived the missed missed field goal. Georgia running backs, 16 carries, which isn't very many. 16 carries, 154 yards. They had 9.6 yards a carry, the the three running backs. Does that surprise you that they were able to run like that on Ohio State?
2: No, and they had to get away from – no, not at all, because Ohio State's defense is still a major issue in big games. They – had Georgia been able to play from ahead – and not if their defense, like let's say Ohio State wouldn't have got off to the fast start. Georgia could have ran for 300 yards in this game <laughs> easily. And that's that's the other point of consternation here in Columbus is, one, if you go back to the Oregon game and the Michigan game last year, and then you prop it up against Michigan and Georgia this year, Michigan and Georgia had more total yards than last year. And they that's why they brought Jim Knowles in to fix this. And they didn't fix the big plays on defense. They haven't really fixed the run defense against teams that can actually run the ball that are in their weight class. And until and Ryan Lemay or Ryan Ryan Day lamented that afterward. Like, yeah, we got to get this fixed. Well, this is two years of it now. And is it going to happen again next year? Um, Georgia Georgia took it to him, and they made again. Bennett turned it up in the fourth quarter. I mean, the, the touchdown where the defender fell down, I mean, that, that can't happen. That a was the play game.
1: after the timeout. Right. Like, that, that was just, the first place. I mean, yeah. talk about the, uh, a wild, wild swing right there.
2: No, and then you had some great plays. I mean, like, Brock Bowers, the first down that he got, and to have the athleticism to get that first down on fourth down, like, I, as soon as I saw that in real time, I was like, he got that. I didn't realize how he got that. I mean, mm-hmm. that some incredible performances both ways, but again – to me, it's Georgia played like a champion when it didn't play its best game, and Ohio State played like a champion but came up short. And now Ryan Day is two and five against top five teams, and his predecessor, Urban Meyer, was six and two. And that's something that's going to hang over him if they go next year and lose to Michigan again.
1: Yeah, the, the game played out how Ohio State wanted it to play out. I mean, Georgia. The first, they didn't punt in the first half and they missed a field goal. Bennett had a weird interception and, um, you know, they didn't have any other turnovers or anything. But Ohio State comes out of that first half without forcing a punt, but they have the lead. And then all of a sudden they force two, three and outs to start the third quarter and they really take control of the game. But they just couldn't close it in the fourth quarter. And that was the difference. Um, let's switch over to the uh, Fiesta Bowl, the undercard, the warm-up game, so to speak. But boy, what a warm-up game it was! It was amazing. Um, it it had it featured uh, a game that you know I, I've never seen eight touchdowns in eight minutes. Literally, there were eight touchdowns in eight minutes, and <laughs> just big play after big play after big play. But actually, you know you were saying it you know it turns into flag football and there's no defense and everything like that after that just absolutely unbelievable stretch the final 13 minutes of the game both defenses settled down and figured it out there were only 70 total yards in the final 31 plays from scrimmage that's 2 2.2 yards a play or something like that in absolute crunch time when everybody needed it and the game was going to be decided both defenses Actually stepped up.
2: Yeah, kinda. I mean, too late though. Not hey, kinda. Michigan- I mean, there were seven
1: possessions. There were I think five punts. Michigan drove for one touchdown. And right. uh and then the, the Michigan lost it on downs on the, the they didn't even get a first down on the last four. Well, four or so
2: Michigan's play calling on those last two drives was bad. They didn't like, they're just throwing Hail Mary balls, like deep ball, deep passes. That's not how they're designed. So, I mean, I guess the TCU defense stepped up. Michigan held them. That's one of the many things like people were getting on Jim about the timeouts. He actually timed it up right. I, because like I've gone through this with people, he didn't call timeout third and one because if he does that, the game's over. So they get the first down, then he starts calling timeouts. It made sense. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, the rest of that game was just I, – I don't – I again, like those aren't games that I enjoy more than like other college – I don't enjoy 51-45 games. I never have because, I mean, <laughs> to me it's a lack of – it's a lack of defense. It's a lack of execution. I mean, third and – seven. come on, Bill. Third and seven and Michigan's got a chance to get off the field and you give up a 76-yard touchdown on a crossing route, that's not football. That's that not
1: – That was it. That was the biggest play of the game. Michigan had – you know, despite all the chaos and the turnovers right. and everything, they had pulled within forty-one thirty-eight. They got two stops on the first and second down. Michigan uh, – sorry, TCU is in trouble. They're in third and seven. They punt it back to Michigan right there. You feel like Michigan's yeah. going to take control of the game. Michigan is going to start to pull away. Michigan never led, uh, but that was going to be their first chance to take a lead, and it looked like they were going to. And – um, You know, I Johnson goes 76 yards on a, on a basically a a missed tackle. And then I don't know where the rest of the defense was after
2: that. No, they blitzed and then you blow an assignment like that. I I mean that, that was, yeah, it was a huge play. I still, and I slacked you when they had the, the most important play wasn't that though. It was, I'm going to stick with it. The, it was a touchdown on Roman Wilson. That was a touchdown that they didn't call that, They reviewed it. I don't know what they're reviewing. This is what I'm talking about with the officiating in this game. Horrible call because he's in the end zone. He bobbled it. It's a touchdown. There wasn't enough to overturn it. Then Michigan doubles down by running a ridiculous quick handoff that gets fumbled. I I slacked you at that point. I said, That's the ball game. And I still believe it was because from that moment forward, it became a Big 12 game. It went from 21 to 17. And Michigan's within four points, and they they maybe get a turnover. Maybe TCU tightens up to absolute lunacy in the third quarter. And TCU's comfortable in that. Michigan's not comfortable in those games. They don't play 51 to 45 games in Evanston and Champaign and even Columbus. So I really think that was the biggest sequence in the game. And it's not even about the missed call. Yeah, like they missed a touchdown. It was, what are you doing after that? Why are you running... A handoff that quick, like Michigan's red zone offense was terrible, and that yeah, that's cost mean, them you, the game. You
1: can go back to the opening drive of the whole game when they got inside the five yard line, and um, you know, third down, <laughs> McCaffrey scrambles all the way back to the thirty-two yard line, but then magically gets back inside the two uh, with his incredible scramble there. But that was that was a danger zone situation, and then on fourth down, they went with the Philly special. That I Horrible. think needs to be retired at this point. I mean, I think people understand how to how to defend that. The New England Patriots certainly didn't, to my dismay, in the Super Bowl. But I think people have figured it out at this point, and uh, certainly a, a terrible call. Yeah, I
2: mean, just just getting away from who they are, and that's where I was like, that's an old coaching thing. Like that goes back all the way to like the Nebraska Miami Orange Bowl when you're running things that you don't run, and they either even if they work it gives the other team confidence. Like TCU, I'm not taking anything away. They matched Michigan physically on that defensive side. They were smacking Donovan Edwards. Like some of the hits, I was like, good Lord. So any questions about TCU's physicality was answered. Um, They ran the ball down Michigan's throat in the red zone. Like it, it wasn't, that was the difference. Like they get, I had it written down here on my computer. I can't find it. But I think like Michigan at one point had eight plays Ten plays inside the 10-yard line, this was before the craziness, and they had three points. TCU had like five plays inside the 10-yard line, and they scored touchdowns. And that's the difference in that game. So Mm I don't think – Max. Yeah, One thing we did talk about a little bit was
1: TCU's experience in close games and having to make plays and having to come through. And they were unfazed when the game got out of control and it was back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, even when Michigan – that I, I think Michigan scored a touchdown during that that eight touchdown bonanza. They scored a touchdown. TCU fumbled. Michigan scored another touchdown. That is when it became forty-one thirty-eight, and
2: you had to make a play, and they did with that that seventy-six yard touchdown. Yeah, I mean that's and that's you know product of being in those games. Like I said, Michigan's not used to playing fifty-one to forty-five, and I think it's going to bring you know we're going to talk about it here in a minute. I mean. I still think Jim Harbaugh coaches college football games like NFL games. And, and it's just the, the style that they play is a little bit different than the big 12. It's not, you know, Sonny, let it, let it hang out. And I don't know that Max Duggan particularly played awesome. I think, you know, they get, when they got after him, he was okay. They Michigan's coverage was good for the most part. Um, but You know, the running running game and the not running it. This was the first game, and I read this after, this was the first game where Michigan missed Blit Coram. Because I think had Quorum been healthy, I just think his style of running might have been a little bit better for this game. But, you know, I mean, they'd had two games without him. And Donovan Edwards not anywhere near the field on the goal line, which was crazy. I mean, maybe that was because of the hand, but they got away from what they do well.
1: Yeah. I mean, the two empty red zone possessions and then, of course, the two pick sixes that J.J. McCarthy threw that, you know, they're unexpected plays. They were great plays by TCU. Give them credit. Um, But, you know, you add all that up, it's going to be hard to win. And they still Michigan still almost won. Right. I mean, they had the ball with a chance to win the game. and, And at the end of the game, when you've got two empty red zone possessions inside the five yard line, that's inside the two yard line, that's. 14 right. points. The two pick sixes are 14 points against you. That's 28 points right there and you're still right there. That tells you, you know, you may right. you probably you had the better team. We know Michigan had the better team. We I said that even though I picked TCU. I said Michigan has the better team. It's hard to it's hard to make a case for TCU, but there's something about this team. They made the plays when they had to and they pulled it out.
2: I don't know that they had the better team. I, I mean, like watching it, like I TCU two pick sixes. Like McCarthy played good, but that's like a big. Oh, he had a great game, but but, but two game change, changing pick sixes. They, but exactly, yeah, that, that's a huge but. So, um, you know, I, I think McCarthy played well And TCU. I mean, they early talk like on the press conferences yesterday. We'll get into more of this tomorrow. That Cinderella label's worn off. Sonny said that yesterday. I mean, when you beat Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, one more (laughs) big brand for them to beat. I mean, I'm nothing but impressed with how they played, and Michigan allowed the upset cookbook to happen. I mean, there was a 59-yard field goal in this game, and that's like the 30th best detail of the game. So, (laughs) um, yeah, and, you know, we'll see where Michigan goes from here. Well, honestly, within the next week or two, we'll see where Jim Harbaugh goes from here.
1: Well, yeah. So you wrote a, uh, a nice piece uh, this week on SportingNews.com about where what's what happens to the Big Tens, Big Two as they go from here. Who who rebounds? You asked a series of questions uh, in terms of who is hurting more, who blew the game a little bit more. Um, why don't you go through and, and and take it from an Ohio State perspective first? And where do they go from here? And then how does Michigan pick up the pieces?
2: Well, I'm trying to figure out. We'd do our way too early tw- top 25 here shortly. And I think Ohio State will be ranked higher. They always are based on talent. You know, they got Harrison, Ibuka. McCord is probably the starting quarterback. They're going to be loaded. I mean, like their defense, like talent-wise, they're loaded. Um, and that's everything we just talked about, like, Is this a moral victory? Yeah, they played great. Ryan Day was fired up on the sideline. Great. Still lost the game. And I think Michigan had the worst loss of the two because this was, as you said, seven and a half point favorite. The better You could still make the case that they were the better team. Um, Best chance for a national championship in 25 years. So they had the worst loss. But I think the more pressure is coming on Ohio State because Ryan Day, like I said, two and five against top five teams. Has to play at Michigan next year. Has lost twice in a row. They haven't lost three times in a row to Michigan since ninety five, ninety seven, and that was a particularly brutal stretch for or Ohio State at the time. Like Cooper had great teams, John Cooper had great teams, couldn't beat Michigan. So, and, and for the Big Ten, it's it's Pat Forty wrote about this too. Um, bad, like they are three and eight in the playoff, three and eight. Uh, Ohio State now three and five, and two of the wins were in the first year. Um, Michigan 0 and 2, Michigan State 0 and 1. You could add USC's Cotton Bowl loss on top since they're technically coming <laughs> to the Big Ten. It was, um, and then Penn State had a nice game, but I mean, the Big Ten, like in my lifetime, I always tell this so since 1968, which is like 10 years before I was born, the Big Ten has exactly three national titles, four, three and a half, 68 Ohio State, two. With Ohio State since, and Michigan has half a title, so two and a half national titles after the 1968 night season.
1: And meanwhile, the SEC improved Ever. to ten and one with ten mm-hmm. straight
2: semifinal victories, uh, and they're going to get another national championship. Like we'll, we'll probably, but we'll get into more of that later in the week. But yeah, I think that's. And then, Don't you think Harbaugh, Michigan
1: is loaded? Is is primed to be great next year, though? Michigan?
2: No, I think they'll be about the same. And here's, here's where Michigan lacks. And I had this conversation with a couple of friends. They were their receivers. Why, why do they not have a Quentin Johnston? They have everything else. They have the, they have the quarterback, they have running backs, have good offensive line, but there's not how many bill. This is why I always ask people how many Michigan guys on that roster for round guys, two, three, maybe. And that's mm-hmm. a lot for them. Like, McCarthy's maybe a first-round pick. I think he should develop into one. Blake Coram's a a day two guy. Um, The center's probably a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. Victor, he's a first-round pick. Will Johnson could be a first-round pick. That's it. High State, how many first-round picks? Georgia, how many first-round picks? That's like the whole first round. And Mm -hmm. until they get that, they'll be about the same. And, well, and again, here we go. Jim Harbaugh. That's the other part. Is he yeah, going to be Let's around? talk about that. What, Jim Harbaugh some reports out that he is, uh, <laughs>
1: despite his promise last year that he was, this would not be an annual thing, his flirtation with the NFL, the general feeling out there with some reporting coming out that if he does get an offer to go to the NFL, he will take it and he will leave Michigan. Will he get an offer? We don't know. Uh, but uh, unlike His promise that he would, you know, not be flirting like he did last year, especially with the Minnesota Vikings coming very close there, but uh, reportedly not getting the offer comes back to Michigan. Uh, This year, he seems to be in the same boat. Uh, What do you think um, happens with that? And then if he does leave, I don't even know where Michigan looks. Uh, To me, there's no obvious candidate.
2: Well, it's pre-Black Monday tradition to talk about Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL and This is the best shot to do it. I mean, I I wrote about that for us this week as well. And to me, it's... I always use... This is the one-liner I've used on, like, about a thousand radio interviews since he took over. I said, he's a better NFL coach than he is a college coach, but he's better for college than the NFL. And now I don't know if either one of those statements is true because he's been out of the NFL for seven years. But, I mean, you give him... He has a winning percentage in the NFL. That's comparable to like Vince Lombardi. He was 44 Before- and 19. That's gross. And they beat Belichick. They played in the super bowl. He was comparable NFL wise to any of the good coaches in the NFL. And, um, but in college, he, he also wore on the 49ers and all that stuff. And, you know, that's why he's perfect for college. Cause his met, they new guys come in every four years, you know, so he can do his shtick and it works um is he tired of but to me he's used the transfer portal like he would use NFL free agency i don't know if michigan's recruiting hasn't caught the windfall that you should catch from winning back-to-back big 10 championships and i could see him as a guy that could be frustrated with the changes college football has changed a lot in 7 years the nfl hasn't you build through free agency you build through the draft you find a franchise quarterback you got a shot at the super bowl so you and i were talking about this yesterday it really comes down to one thing. What does he want? He's unpredictable, he's quirky. If he wants to stay at Michigan, he'll stay. If if he truly wants to go chase the Super Bowl, which he mentioned last year and he didn't apologize for it, I could see him going to maybe not Carolina. I could see Colts, Broncos, um, Raiders if the Raiders move on from McDaniels. I could see it. And this is the time to do it. Because each time he doesn't do it, it does hurt their recruiting.
1: Yeah, well, that was the thing. It just seemed like he torpedoed all of their momentum from last year in that offseason with the flirtation with the Vikings and the staff changes and everything. But it didn't matter. They they won the Big Ten again. They made the college football playoff again. They almost made the national championship game. So, you know, all his offseason um, – You know, we wrote about it. We thought they killed the momentum as a program, but that wasn't the case. But you're right. It goes back to that quote last year. I think I I read it. I think he gave it to uh, Mitch Album. He said the Super Bowl is the ultimate prize in our sport, but the national championship is pretty good too. So (laughs) makes it sound
2: like the national championship's the consolation prize. Exactly. Totally see him going, going for the Super Bowl, going somewhere where. And if he, let's say he left. So you asked that question. Harbaugh leaves. One, if you're a Michigan fan, you cannot be mad. You can't be like, oh, I hate him, blah. Now, when um, Brady Hoke and Rich Rod, that was seven years. You know what their record was? 46 and 42. 24 and 32 in the Big Ten. They were awful. It was horrendous. <laughs> they were, that was a seven-year disaster. So he's beat Ohio state. He's won the big 10. He took you to the playoff twice. That's if he leaves, he left the program in a infinitely better place than he found better than when Lloyd Carr left it. So can't be mad at him. I think the NFL is great. Like, you know, put him, you know, he coaches against his brother or whatever. It's going to be great. Um, who would be the logical replacement? Probably somebody on staff, probably, I don't know. I think it's so late in the cycle. You always heard Matt Campbell's name, some of the shines off that. I don't think there's that home run candidate. I mean, it's an attractive job. So, what I think Luke Fickle would have been a home run candidate, but now he's at a different big team school. I don't think he would have gone to Michigan, though. That would have been interesting. That would have been great for for (laughs) us. Um, So, maybe they promote from within one of three guys. It would probably be a Sharon Moore or. Mike Hart, who has never been a coordinator, but obviously the most recognizable of the three, or a mentor, so or maybe they—I don't know what they would do, but I think that's to keep what they've got going. I think they would promote from within. It's what Ohio State did when Urban retired. Maybe it's mentor, but and in, and in, in, yeah, right. You know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma did it. Notre Dame yeah. did
1: it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not uncommon if there's not
2: a slam dunk. That's there. what I think they would do because then they're not uprooting everything they've built with Harbaugh. And it would be tough, but like you said, I maybe maybe I'm not giving them credit. They they do have enough on their roster. And the other way, the other thing that might convince Harbaugh to stay is he's got at least one more with McCarthy. I like McCarthy a lot. I love how and I think he's the first NFL they haven't had an NFL draft pick at quarterback since Chad Henney. I mean and McC- and McCarthy's got a potential to be a first round pick in my opinion. Sure. So yeah, so that'd be cool to see. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, um, quick thoughts on the Cotton Bowl, the Rose Bowl. I mean, h- holy mackerel! USC that uh, Tulane that was uh, that was something else. Fifteen point lead with four minutes to go, and uh, Tulane comes down and uh, get breaks a long touchdown, and USC just collapsed with the the kick return out of bounds, and then they gave up a safety, and then they they. Couldn't stop them in the end.
2: Yeah. um, Wild. I think they had the odds of it. Like this teams were like 6,392 and one in in that situation or something. And Tulane beat the odds. So good for Willie Fritz. Um, You wrote about it. It's, we don't necessarily 100% agree, but like I, I, it is, it is good. If that's a preview of what a playoff quarterfinal looks like, that's cool. You know, that's good that Tulane can win. Um, but I always like that's that cynics view that I have. I look at it like from US season, how did you blow that, dude? You're up 15. Like you're the better roster. You have the Heisman winner. How many of these Caleb Williams performances are we gonna spoil? Well,
1: that to me, really- that's sort of the point is that like Caleb Williams and the Heisman trophy winner played awesome. Right. And Tulane still won the game. Yeah. That's just like, incredible for college football to me. Like I was watching it and I've heard other people say it too. I don't know if I slacked you or something. Tulane did not look appreciably slower than USC. Right.
2: No, you suck. And you're right, but that's where's your defense, USC? Like that's what the Lincoln Riley defense narrative has followed him. And then mm-hmm. slid into the Rose Bowl, which I was wrong about. Penn State played great. And they're the they're a team to watch next year because Singleton's back. Drew Lar is going to take over at quarterback. Mm-hmm. They got some guys that stayed. James Franklin got the 0-10. First top 10 teams off his back. Um, Convincingly. But, the, the, again, Cynic's view. Well, Clark Phillips, Kincaid, Thomas, Joey Porter, they weren't on the field. So how much do you really overreact to that? I, I don't know. But mm-hmm. good for them to win. So, uh, you know, it—they're—they're it, it, they are two teams to watch, Penn State and USC next year. What does USC do with step two? And is Penn State ready to go get – georgia and ohio state let me ask you one quick question because we're doing our way too early top 25
1: Mm
2: -hmm. which pac 12 team would you put top i mean you got to look at washington
1: that's right that's yeah they're under consideration for sure oregon is under consideration usc is under consideration Mm -hmm. kind of the same three teams i don't know that i'm ready to anoint uh, to keep ucla up as high as they were in contention this year um you know, USC bothers me until they prove that they have a defense, but it's it's hard to bet against um,
2: Caleb Washington. Williams. But
1: I wouldn't be surprised if Washington – do. I, does Washington play USC next year?
2: I'm going to have to look, but I think they're going to be – They didn't play this year. they got a ton of momentum, 11 wins and quarterback back and all those things. I mean, Washington, Oregon, USC, and then we we just totally disregard Utah, who's won the last two conference championships, and will probably <laughs> be solid. I mean, those four teams – Pac-12 has four really solid ranked teams right yeah. there. And uh, it's gonna yeah. be a fun and Oregon State, by the way, nine and three with a new quarterback. So what a fun conference they're gonna be. No doubt. And they were fun this year too. So all right. Well, that'll do it for today's
1: podcast. Thank you everybody for joining. We'll be back to break down the national championship game in detail in a couple of days. Uh, And uh, then Bill will have a live report after media days out in Los Angeles over the weekend to get everybody ready for Monday night's national championship game. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you soon on the All-America podcast.